Hey mom, first things first, thank you. It's my one year anniversary of my decision to say, yes, I need help, and yes, I choose me. And that's the miracle. I'm lucky that the strongest person I know is my own mother. Love you, mom, Maxwell. Be that strong person who makes the difference. If your loved one is struggling with drugs and alcohol, reach out to Karen for a different kind of addiction treatment. Visit caron.org slash lost. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the LPN Show. Recorded both in Los Angeles and New York City. We're just, you know, here to hang out. Have a good time. All right. I'll talk to y'all after a while. Hey, what's up, everyone? How you doing? Welcome to the LPN Show. I am Ben Kissel. Today, I am so honored to have with me. He's a superstar. He's super tall. He's tall and thin. Isn't he a dream come true? You may have heard him on Jensen and Holes, The Murder Squad. He's an investigative journalist and knows just so much about true crime and everything fascinating. Billy Jensen is with me. Thank you, Billy, for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me, Ben. This is... uh. It's it, you know I know you came out to Los Angeles mm-hmm. in July. We we haven't been able because of the pandemic. We I heard there was something going on, and uh, you know what? It's been uh, you know we finally got to reconnect in person uh, a few nights ago. So that it's fantastic. fantastic. We had a chance to go watch the Lakers game. They did the play-in game, which they will be in the playoffs in the West. Billy and I were screaming at the television screen just like it was uh, years of it, old. It, it, it felt, was fantastic. It felt, if we were partying like it was 2019, dude, it was so <laughs> dope. Well, speaking of partying, man, I don't know. I don't really know that much about you, so let's just. I want to because I'm sure the audience is like two tall guys talking. What do the tall guys talk about? But believe it or not, it's mostly feelings. Yeah, you're 48. You're young. Yeah, you've been an investigative journalist for how long? Uh, 23 years. What was it about investigative journalism? How did you even start? Because at some point, you're just a people. Tom or you're just you're just someone who's like going around like uh, like Jake Gyllenhaal in the movie Nightcrawler just being like wow there's things going on here that I have to uh, you know I I need to have this information I have to be privy to everything happening in this town how do you begin a a career in investigative journalism well you know what I actually started and you know I got I got my my degree in classics and religion okay and then I got a a, a graduate degree in religious studies I studied I studied cults uh, new religious movements is what we call them. Yeah. So, you know, coming out with a with a degree, you know, was, what were you going to do? You're going to teach it. And that's it. Right. Yeah. You know, my dad uh, got sick, so I couldn't finish my PhD. So I actually went back home. My dad was a house painter, so I was helping out with the family business. And I had to think of something, some sort of creative outlet, you know? Right. I'm sitting there having gone through grad school and I'm painting houses and I'm thinking, what can I do? I was a big hockey fan at the time. I still am. Yeah. I played hockey and I was... Uh, really into hockey fights. So I created awesome. a zine about hockey fights, particularly about the just New York the Islanders. Fights. Yes. That's the only thing that matters. That's great. Cut the fat. Yeah. And it was just, it was, it would take each fight, say who won, who lost, 
do like a blow by blow type of thing and then say like who would win, who, who you know who went, went on to win the game who scored the next goals to so sort of like analyze it so did it actually yeah. really affect the game so i would print these out you know went to kinkos and stapled them and then would hand them out at the new york islanders games at nasa coliseum and then um the village voice saw it they were coming out on long island saw it and said would you want to do one story and I said, yeah, Dude, and I just great. and I just hung around and I just kept pitching stories and pitching stories. Yeah. At first it was a lot of sports, like, you know, just off the wall, kind of weird sports. Thank God no crime ever takes place in the world of sports. Yeah. <laughs> no crime has ever happened. So you're in a safe spot. Yeah, there. it was good. Yeah. Or no crime on Long Island either. So, you know, having, <laughs> you know, but having grown up on Long Island, especially in the in the 80s, there were so much crazy things that were going on in Long Island. You talk yeah. about Long Island Lolita and um, the Say You Love Satan case with Ricky Casso. Right. Uh, you know, just so much stuff that was going on. And there's still the live event happening too, right? Or the uh, the ongoing investigation with the bodies that have turned up all over. Oh, I it, believe that's, uh, is that for Long, Long Island Serial Killer? Yeah, yeah. the oh, Long yeah. Island Serial Killer. Mm -hmm. They don't know who that guy is, no, right? No, I just, well, actually, I spent six weeks uh, well, we just wrapped up a project called Unraveled Long Island Serial Killer, which yeah. is a, which is a podcast and also is on Discovery Plus. It was a special, so awesome. We actually sh we we did a podcast and shot a special uh, at the same time, which nobody had really done before. Uh, usually, it's one or the other, one you know, chicken or the egg. Right. And um, yeah, no, they still you know, and the reason why it wasn't solved, we focused a lot on the investigation itself and the corruption there and the politics and everything that we, that was going on because the uh, the police chief that was there who eventually went to jail was a real piece of work. Right. Yeah. So, you know, but you're right, though. It's just like all, the, you know, you just look at Long Island and, uh, you know, my first memory of, of my first memory of speaking a word was when I saw uh, that they had caught the uh, 44 caliber killer, Son of Sam. Right. I remember my dad showing me that newspaper wow. and me saying he looks like a turkey <laughs> in the vernacular of 1977. <laughs> up your nose with a rubber hose, you know, right, kind, of, right. kind of stuff. So you were interested from from. Uh I suppose the circumstances that you were around, I mean, for me, it was Jeffrey Dahmer. Uh, so I'm 39. So when Dahmer committed his crimes, it was what, 93, 94. And then I was also into Chris Farley. So for me, it was SNL and then reading <laughs> stories about cannibalism. I still think Dahmer probably had a healthier diet than Chris Farley. But those things <laughs> yeah. sort of conjoined in my mind of like, you can be really fun and slapstick and love all the things that are light. And then you can also be fascinated by bodies and barrels in apartment complexes in Milwaukee. Did you in what like what did you feel like you had to get more involved when you heard about the son of Sam or like what was your because obviously at this point you're just a baby. Well, when I heard about son of Sam, I was five. So right. it was just I just remember that feeling. I remember the feeling of dread that was kind of over. We were we were on Long Island, but we were only 10 miles Did you think it was good for your away. parents to uh, show you the Son of Sam article at five? Or was that you a know, little too <laughs> young? I, I went to abortion rally, anti-abortion rallies when I was five. So I remember a lot of graphic images yeah. that most five-year-olds don't see. But Well, my you know, my dad was an ex-con and he would read the newspaper. He would yeah. come home. He would read Newsday, uh, which is the newspaper out there. He would read it. It was a afternoon paper. He would come home after painting houses, turn on Channel 7 Eyewitness News, yeah. and I would sit in the middle. And then he'd be reading crime stories and watching crime stories. And you know, when I, was, when I wrote my first book, I was like, I had sort of a breakthrough of thinking, maybe this is why I do this, Could be. because I was trying to get his attention. How long was your father incarcerated for? Uh, just like two, three years. Okay, yeah. so something petty, not the biggest uh, no, deal. Yeah, or... not the, no, no, no. It was just uh, a lot of uh, a lot of fighting, a lot of kid right. stuff, drugs, and, yeah, and yeah. things. Strong Island, they call it that for a reason. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, um, but he, you know, he was able to, you know, pull out of the skid and, and everything. Awesome. So, uh, which was which was very cool. So, but I think it was, 
you know, um, I was always drawn towards true crime, you know, and then I got into really into the Kennedy assassination. Then right. I got really into Son of Sam uh, with the Ultimate Evil book, which Sons of Sam, the, the, the show on Netflix is based on. What did you think about the Kennedy assassination? Because Marcus and Henry, and I'll, re- I'll uh, reserve judgment, Marcus and Henry believe it was the Secret Service officer that ended up popping him in the back of the head because the Secret Service was super hungover. Mm -hmm. The guy was a rookie. Perhaps he shouldn't have had such an important detail. And uh, he basically got nervous and scared and accidentally popped JFK in the head. What do you think about Mm -hmm. the JFK investigation? I think any other scenario other than Oswald did it himself or that is bullshit. Okay, interesting. I, so I you think, think that is... I, I initially went down the rabbit hole of the mafia did it sure. or the, the, the industrial complex, military industrial complex. Or No, it wasn't. It was... There was definitely a guy up there shooting. It was Oswald acting alone. Right. And it could have been an accident, like like you were saying. I still think Oswald did it, um, but I would, I, would, I would say there's a 5% chance maybe of the Secret Service agent, not in any kind of plan, just because he just screwed up. Right. But, but, you know, I had, I met Clint Hill, too, actually. Really? The guy that jumped on the back of the... Uh, How was that experience? The, very cool, yeah. Was he shook by it, or has, was he sort of like, that was me? Yeah, it was well, pretty cool. No, you, he was an older guy, and, you know, he was uh, he was really the detail for for her, for Jackie. So yeah. he had a really strong relationship with And Jackie. he did his job. She's alive, or mm-hmm. was. Mm-hmm. Yep. Time took her. Time took her. As yes. age will take all of us. Maybe we can use the Kennedy assassination just as an example for people who are listening who want to get into investigative journalism. So you look at this massive thing. You have so many different conspiracy theories. You have so many different outlets as far as information. You have so many different people providing information, some valid, some totally not valid. Where did you did you begin with a hypothesis? Did you start by saying he was killed by the CIA and I'm going to find out how? Or were you like, yo, dude, bathe me in this shit. I have no freaking idea. How did you even what was the best approach or what approach did you take to just beginning? Because I feel like that's the hardest thing for people to find is just that initial wick, that initial threat. Well, you know what? I mean, listen, when I first heard about it. I was 12 years old, or at least heard about that there could have been a conspiracy. I saw this right. show called The Man Who Saw Tomorrow, which is about Nostradamus. And they had a part about the Kennedy assassination, and they have the guy in the grassy knoll, and they yeah. have, look, you can see an outline of the gun. It was all bullshit. You're just chasing shadows. But yeah. I was getting, and then I got, I went to the the uh, the library the next day. I was like, can I have every book on the Kennedy assassination? You know, yeah. And I was just super intense about it, about getting into the forensics of it all and all of that. I think I just wanted to get as much knowledge as I could about it, and then, uh, but I would I would venture in and out of different hypotheses. Right. But you know that is such a that's such a crazy case. You know I never wrote about that sort of professionally. Um, I tend to try and you know actually it's it's a it's a phrase that came out of the Kennedy assassination. It's a phrase in journalism called "find the grave digger," mm. and and this is where it came from when. You know, every newspaper would have a Washington correspondent. And when Kennedy was shot, they sent everybody there. So when they were, were, um, you know, so they have people at the White House, you have people, you know, at the funeral, you have people like covering, you know, him laying in state, all of that. Right. So where are you going to get your story? Where are you going to get something different? Jimmy Breslin went and actually interviewed the guy that was digging JFK's grave. Interesting. And that's where that term comes from. It's like, if it, all right, if everybody's looking one way and you know that this is all going to be covered, yeah. find the grave digger. Go find you know an interesting part of the story. And that's one of the things that, that, that has actually sort of driven me through my career. I remember on the first anniversary of 9-11, yeah. 
uh, one of my very first unsolved murder stories that I had done was about the, you know, so everybody's talking about 9-11 stuff yes. and the terrorists and the firefighters and everything. And I found the only other murder in New York City on 9-11. And it was a guy named Henry Shiwiak. And hmm. he was a, uh, a Polish immigrant who was walking in Bedford-Stuyvesant just uh, trying to go on his first day of work of cleaning a supermarket. Oh. And he was shot and killed. And that was just something that nobody had covered it. It right. got completely overshadowed so by sad. the events of the day. Still unsolved. Didn't a lot of crime happen during 9-11 other than the actual event of 9-11, which one could argue is a pretty massive crime. But my understanding was like a lot of different gangs kind of took out retribution. The NYPD and the FDNY and every other police department in the vicinity, they were pretty busy. Did you hear those sort of rumors that there was a lot of aggression and there was a lot of you know murder because... There were no cops really to police the rest of the city. You, you know what? I don't really remember that. I do remember I did a, uh, a TV show about D.B. Cooper and they sure. part, they partnered me up with a, uh, a former deputy director of the FBI. And he was telling me that on the wiretaps, they remember hearing the mob being like not happy, but being like, you know what? This is good for us because they're all going to be looking over there, which is actually true. The FBI all started diverting all the resources towards that. They're not going to look at us that much, and they're going to they're going to sort of uh, take the um, the foot off the pedal when it comes to organized crime. So that's one thing that I do remember. What's one thing that you learn when talking to people who are in the FBI? I have a few friends that I was able to meet over the years that were now ex-CIA and they worked undercover, and some of their stories are absolutely insane. I'm still very close friends with a man named Saman Arbabi who runs the uh, Iranian Daily Show, which is basically a uh, comedic weapon that the u.s military sponsors uh that goes over to iran and it's all undercover yeah. and it's very interesting at one point he was the second most wanted man in iran yeah um when you talk to someone in the fbi or someone in the cia what are some of the things where you're like that is why you do what you do and i do what i do or do they approach things in a different way from your sense or what do you glean from them i think the biggest thing is is that they have to follow a lot of rules ah. and they have to follow a lot of regulations and that's the freedom that you have uh you can be frustrated because yeah i can't go get a subpoena or you can be fr you know but i don't have to follow you know if 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 the cops wanted to talk to somebody and he said i'll only talk to you with my with my lawyer present cops can't go talk to him again right i could knock on that guy's door every day for the next 10 years right no one's gonna you know i could it could be harassment but you know so there's there's a lot more freedom that you have as a journalist i think that's really you know it, it can't be so buttoned up these guys i don't have to you know when i was writing for for a particular newspaper or something i had to answer to one person i had to answer my editor sure and then maybe the editor above that person that was it you know and just the truth is is it and then if the lawyer will take a look at it then then you um, then, you know, one of the things that I've noticed also, uh, with newspapers, and this is, this is the thing that scares the hell out of me with newspapers starting to slide and go away is that newspapers, if you had a story and you could prove it, you would say, your editor would say, this is it. All right. We got it buttoned up. Let him sue us. We're going to run this. Okay. Let him sue us. That was how newspapers were set up. TV is not like that. Right. TV is like, we're a big giant conglomerate. We don't want to get sued. We just don't want it. So so we're not going to take, even though we know this story might be true, right. we're not going to run it. But does it not then run the risk also of allowing for 
you know, different theories to come in that are absolutely asinine. You know, like the idea that H.H. Holmes was also Jack the Ripper. You know, these things that don't really make any sense. Is that one of the dangers that we run into with television specifically? Because it does have to be entertaining. And oftentimes, even in true crime, people make the mistake, in my opinion, thinking that the truth is not entertaining enough. Yeah. When in reality, we're, we just covered Danny Rowling. You don't have to add anything to that story. No, you this shit no. is disgusting, man. Have you seen when it comes to journalism as you as you maintain integrity, how has television altered some of the stories? Because you know one of the reasons that we started doing last podcast was to correct a lot of media myth mm-hmm. and a lot of media narrative. I always reference Columbine, uh, you know, Dylan and, and, uh, and Eric. The media initially was like, they were bullied, and this was their revenge. Right. In reality, they were the bullies. They were the jackasses. Everyone knew if someone was going to sc- shoot up the school, it would be those two yeah. guys. And that media narrative has now permeated for 21, 22 plus years that, oh, well, we have to look at the shooter. They must have been tormented. It's like, no, or they could be fucking assholes. Yeah. And so with you and true crime, how do you like try to keep it truthful but also understand this is an expression and this is entertainment. Yeah, I think it's really it's focusing on the the victims first. That's mm-hmm. what I always do. I always focus on the victims and I focus on then I go to, you know, working with the police or are working sort of somewhat against the police because I don't think that they me and the family don't think that they're doing enough. So you speak to the family of the victims first. You personally go do in that. Ge- in general, yeah. Is, is that the find the grave digger? Is that that mythology where it's like, that methodology where it's like, go to the source. The more I can find out about the victims, the more I'll find out about the perpetrator. Not so much. I mean, it's usually the, or the victim's families will come to me because they've given up hope, yeah. you know, and uh, they've been waiting around. And I remember this one, typically, especially early in my career, somebody would write to you and say, you know, my son was murdered five years ago. <sighs> you know, so my son was murdered six years ago and something like that. I remember this woman writing to me saying, my son was murdered two months ago. Oh my God. I was God. like, she must be in like they must be doing nothing if she's really upset that she's contacting a journalist on long island for a case that was happening in miami wow i was like how did you even find me and uh it turned out that was a a story about a a guy that was a dj who got um who was murdered on new year's eve in oh my god and uh right outside of his apartment and it was just a it was a really strange story there was a there was a whole like cyber love affair it was a lot of twists and turns in it and you were able hey mom First things first, thank you. It's my one year anniversary of my decision to say, yes, I need help, and yes, I choose me. And that's the miracle. I'm lucky that the strongest person I know is my own mother. Love you, Mom. Maxwell. Be that strong person who makes the difference. If your loved one is struggling with drugs and alcohol, reach out to Karen for a different kind of addiction treatment. Visit caron.org slash lost. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. 
people to uh, again, I guess, find the thread for that. I think, and- yeah, I think the thread was this relationship that he had had uh, with this woman who had a um, a jealous boyfriend, and you know, it's still unsolved. We don't know what happened with that. So the really? story was called "Hardcore and Bleeding." How does that make yeah. you feel, knowing that it's unsolved? You know, the thing in my career is that I made a decision very early on in my career that I was only going to do unsolved murders and and missing persons. I was only going to do unsolved. I was stringing for the. Uh, uh, near post. Yeah. Near post. Set what do you me mean out. stringing? So stringing is is that you would go out and um, report on a story. Okay. Then you would call it into rewrite, and somebody would sit at the t- at the table, and then they would rewrite it off off of what you give. Sure. You wouldn't get credit for it. Uh, they changed that after Jason Blair. Uh, when they yeah, so it's like every time, no matter what somebody does, that they'll put your name on it. But back okay, then. did you want your name on it, or did you enjoy oh, being more? No, no, no. Okay, so you want the you want the press because well, this is I your... mean, listen, I was trying to build my career. Exactly. Okay. The, the, one of the first cases that I ever did was they called up. You know, they would always call me up in, on Saturdays because I was I was working at the Village Voice during the week, and then awesome. I would string on on Saturdays. And they said, yeah, we've got a, a body. A body was found in a barrel underneath a house in uh, Jericho. Can you go down there? Yeah. And I remember it. I, I worked the story and I actually got to write it because they didn't have the rewrite guy there. Uh, it was a guy named Bob McFadden who was like a fantastic writer. But um, so I have to, I got to write it. I was calling people. I actually called up the first homeowner and I talked to him and I said, hello, is this Howard Elkins? And he said, yes. I was like, well, some, someone just bought your house, your old house. And they found a body in a, in a barrel. He's like, really? I, said, I was like, you have any idea how that got there? He's like, no. Like, did you ever go in the crawl space? He goes, why would I? You know, there was something there about that. A week later, he shoots himself in the head because it was his secretary. Oh, yeah. my God. So did you feel like you were talking to someone like, um, yo, bro, there was a body in your house. Um, and his reaction was, really? Yeah, that's out. Did you were you like, that's not how you respond? Also. I don't know how you respond to that because hopefully that's a once in a lifetime call. Yeah. I have no idea if someone was like, there was a body found in your old apartment. I'd be like, I have, that is a ridiculous. I have no idea. But did you think this guy was suspect immediately? I thought it was strange when he said, why would I uh, for the crawl space? Everybody goes in their crawl space at once in their life, you know? But the the thing that I learned from that, especially looking back on that, is that he was he gave a really long pause and I, I broke the silence. And you never do that in journalism. What do you mean? You want to, so I, I just asked a question. I was just like, you know, you have any idea how that would get there? And then you have that long pause. We don't like to fit, we don't like those pauses. It's no. very uncomfortable, right? Yes, yes. But, but, but it's it, a lot of times, you know what? The truth is going to come out in that pause. I didn't, I didn't so I do that now. Yes. Um, but I, uh, I, I did that on, unraveled when we were talking to the chief of police's lawyer and, um, it's a technique that you use. Yeah. Uh, it's not anything tricky or anything like that, but it's just something that you do. I didn't do it then. And I wish I did, but, Interesting, uh, cause but you feel like he would have just divulged it. Maybe would. something, I don't, something, you know what I mean? So, uh, but you know, I wrote up that story, handed it in and I was like, Oh, I, you know, my, my check says William Jensen, but my name is Billy Jensen. And they said, oh, we don't give uh, bylines to stringers. And I was like, still, even though you did all that, that story got was like turned into a law and order episode. I think it was turned into a wow. bunch of stuff and nobody knew that I was the guy that, that, that started it. <laughs> it's interesting because obviously you do the podcast again, the murder squad, Paul Holes uh, and yourself. That is how you interview. You interview by asking a question and allowing the person to respond. And sometimes they take a long time and sometimes they don't. But that trick or that technique is something that you probably use now in a much less intense form when you're just doing an interview on a podcast where 
the goal of a good podcaster, the goal of a good interview is to shut the fuck up mm-hmm. and let the person talk, <laughs> which is my pet peeve about Vice, where they put themselves in everything. I'm like, get out of yeah. here. I've never seen Ken Burns in a documentary. <laughs> You ever see that demo- uh, documentary now show? Oh, it's so great. They when nailed it. They so nailed they it. Nailed it's, it. Like, it's a very horrible place. You'll probably get they're like, we should go. Yeah. <laughs> so that technique, though, where it's like you learned it from doing legit journalism, probably talking to a man who murdered his secretary. And now you get to use that same technique talking to, a, you know, yeah. a bunch of fun jackasses. Uh, uh, you know what? That occasionally. Is, that, a fun okay, occasionally. Uh, yes. No, no. Uh, it's something that. Uh, you definitely learn. I learned it sort of looking back on it. Yeah. And uh, that was the first uh, murder case that I ever really did was was then it was was it 1998 or 99. When he committed suicide, did you feel closure? Oh, I don't I don't do that. <laughs> you know so I mean? you don't. Like, yeah, that's what's so interesting, because it's hard, man. Obviously, uh, dealing with trauma and dealing with people going through trauma. You mentioned that mom who lost her son. You know, and then two months later, she contacts you because the Miami police aren't doing anything. This whole thing is unsolved. At any point, have you been like, I'm just emotionally, I can't do this shit. I am done. I'm going to paint houses like my father did. Mm -hmm. I can't deal with all of this trauma because it has to impact you. Here's how it impacts me. It impacts me when I think of the numbers. So when I solved my first homicide, which is, uh, I read about this in, in my book, Chase Darkness. And I solved this this homicide, right? Yeah. So, and I've been I've been writing unsolved stories. I've been writing stories with no endings and no byline. I'm a well, well, <laughs> yeah, like a well I, I eventually did get a byline, <laughs> but writing stories with no endings uh, to the detriment of my career, really. But it's just like that, you know. I, I this is what I wanted to do. I didn't feel like I wanted to add something to the story. Yeah. So. Um, I finally, you know, I help a family. I get, we, 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 I identify who it is. And, and then we get the, we've, you know, I have to convince the police it's the right guy. And then they eventually arrest him and I get the phone call. But here's the thing. Yeah. I was like, I pumped my fist. I was like, yes. And then it was just a come down. And the come down was for two reasons. One, it was, I wanted to be able to talk to Marcus Gaines, who was the guy who got murdered. Um, I wanted to tell him about it, like how I did it. You know, it's like I wanted to, you know, but he was gone. And the second thing was that, I know that there's 250,000 unsolved murders in America since 1980. You know, so Marcus Gaines was dead. Marcus Gaines was dead, yeah. By the time you solved the case. Yeah. And th- I just think of those numbers, you know, it's like even with Golden oh. State Killer, you know, Golden State Killer gets caught. You know, I had helped, you know, my, my friend Michelle was writing a book on it. She passes away. Yeah. We, me and, and her researcher and her husband, Pat, and we finished the book and then, you know, he's arrested. And then it's like, it was an amazing feeling that yeah. he was actually still alive and he was arrested. But then there was that come down of like, all right, that's 13 murders that are solved now out of 250,000 murders. Wow. That number, that's the number that fucks with me. I mean, it's just astronomical. Yeah. You can't even put it into words. It, and we add to it every year. We're adding 5,000 or 6,000 to that every year in America. Wow. I want to ask, what is that like when you go into the, like, how do you approach the police and be like, yo, guys, I've been doing your your, your job for you um, because I have, a, I guess they have some rules, I suppose. Uh, how do you even go and try to be taken seriously? Do, do you just show up at a precinct and be like, yo, this is all my evidence? I feel like they would laugh you out of the building. I mean, how does that process work? Usually what I do is if I see a, you know, I created this this sort of system on using utilizing social media and buying targeted, geo-targeted uh, campaigns on Facebook and Instagram in order to identify people in videos. Oh, interesting. So, uh, you know, I would take, if somebody was murdered, so this is what happens. So if somebody, if I see somebody's murdered, police are looking for this person, I see the video. 
Sometimes the video is really good. I'm like, they're going to get that guy in a week. Sure. They're not going to need me, but I'll save it. Put it aside. After two weeks, I'll go back and I'll do a Google search. Most of the time they get them. Yeah. Sometimes they don't. From there, I'll call the police department. I'll say, hey, here's some information. Here, here are cases that I've helped with. This is what I do. I'm not going to charge you anything. Sure. Uh, I don't want the reward. The reward goes to the tipster. This is just something that I do. I spent 25 grand of my own money doing it. And this is before like I was making like any money in yeah, yeah. crime or anything. And I said, uh, you know, some of them say, oh, we already have social media. I was like, listen, you don't, not the social media that I'm talking about because we don't care about the entire city. We just right. care about these five blocks here. That's what we want. Who's, who's going to see that? I could be Kim Kardashian and post it. I'm not going to get the right people. If I yeah. pay this amount of money around this convenience store where this happened, I'm going to hit up everybody. Right. And, um, you know, on Instagram and Facebook and, and Twitter. Uh, after that, um, sometimes they'll go, that's really interesting, you know, and or sometimes they'll go, you know, it's the, it's the people that are just like that get it. Yeah. And, and I hate to say it's usually the younger guys. Yeah. And they're just like, wow, you know, I mean, and then sometimes they're like, I remember calling this guy in San Jose and he's like, I was, I explained it to him and he goes, wow. And I had a specific case, this guy that got stabbed and, and was murdered. This other guy had a really um, distinctive looking jacket. And I was like, we might be able to find this guy. He's like, wow, that's great. But you know what? Could you help me with a fugitive case? And I was like, I've never really done fugitives before with this technique, uh, but I didn't want to say no. Yeah. Cause like, wow, it's a cop's get it, gets it. And I was like, sure. And I'm like, so I say, yes, I'm out there. I put it online. I was like, where is he? He's like, we think he's in Mexico. And I'm like, fuck, he's in Mexico. So I'm like, Anywhere in Mexico, and he's like, um, um, it, it, Puerto Vallarta yeah. or another place. And I said, uh, well, I sure, okay, yeah, let's try and find him. He beat a man to death, oh. went down to Mexico. I said, well, what does he look like? And then I brightened up a little bit because shows me his picture and the guy was a ginger. So he's he's gonna he's gonna stick okay, out. Okay, <laughs> great. I used to tell a joke about how I'm too big and too ginger to ever commit crimes. Because they'd be like, it's tall, that tall asshole right over there. He's got the purse that he just stole. <laughs> so were you able to find this guy? So um, I, you know what I did? I said, all right, well, where would I put my pin in there? And I looked for, where at a guy like this, a white guy that doesn't speak the language. What bar ser serves Coors Light? Here, here you, go. you know what I did? I searched for the Hooters. That's hilarious. I went, I went straight for the Hooters because I figured that would be in like where the expats are or anything sure. like that. Found a Hooters. And then I think that I think one of the Hooters was closed. One of them was open. Yeah, eventually. And let me tell you something. Within um, three hours, I had, I, I don't want to mention the people who, I had so many people contact me who knew this guy? Wow! And it was it was a it was twists and turns. It took a few months, but I remember I I had posted the ad and I was like, usually the times I'll post the ad, then I'll then I'll check it, you know, initially because it takes a while and I'm right. I'm spending like five hundred dollars or something, so um, it's it's going to happen a little bit. These ad, and th now these ads are also coming in and and the the comments are coming in and the messages are coming in in Spanish. I don't speak Spanish, so I'm putting them through a translator. Okay. I go to that. I don't know if it's still around. I think they must have closed it. There was a bar that was exactly like the most Isley Cantina bar in Star Wars that was on uh, Hollywood Boulevard. Okay, cool. So literally, I am sitting in the same booth like that Han Solo was in. Yeah. And I am chasing this guy. You know, like wow. in, in, you know, in Star Wars and there's people dressed as Jawas like and that is so <laughs> it was, funny. It was completely surreal. And you got him eventually. Yeah. I remember following and answering people while I was at, I think it was at a Morrissey concert, like a couple of days later, just openly yeah, weeping. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I had my gladiolas out there. Yeah. Yes. They're like, this is a powerful song. And you're like, no, I'm crying because I just caught another killer. <laughs> like, oh, that's weird, right. bro. All right. What do you do for a living?
It sounds like you've worked a lot with different police departments. And obviously, you know, police, uh, especially with Derek Chauvin and, and uh, the murder of George Floyd. And, you know, we've been talking about criminal justice reform for a long time. And we really have to start seeing that happen. Last Prisoner Project support everything they do. What were some of the first of all, what is your impression of police as a whole? Um, we cover on last podcast on the left. Sometimes cops seem to not exactly work hard on solving crimes, but I also know there has to be officers who are out there that are, that are very dedicated. Mm -hmm. And then secondly, what are some of the best police departments that you've worked with? And, and we can inverse that yeah. as well. And what are some of the worst? Well, I can tell you that there's police departments that will not um, talk to you at all. Sure. Uh, particularly talk to media at all at Chicago. Chicago is is just oh. really closed. Mount. Nope, nothing. Very standoffish, really? yeah. Well, that's ironic because there's a lot of unsolved murders There's there. a lot of, exactly. Um, you know, I think that, you know, the whole idea of the police, you know, the, the whole bad apple type of thing, there's one bad apple there. It's, it just it doesn't work. Right. I think it, it needs an overhaul. The We've seen the police budgets. Nobody really realized what the police budgets were until... Yeah. The, the the George Floyd uh, movement and and the BLM movement and then looking at the how much money we were spending on the Los Angeles Police Department the union is so uh, incredibly powerful the pensions are 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 you know that's where the money is going to it's going to a lot of pensions it's going to a lot of right. um, a lot of overtime and uh, yeah a lot of these guys work really hard and everything like that but it's got to be better and yeah. here's the thing that it's it's not like wow they're shooting a lot more people than they were before shooting a lot more black people than they were before no there's a lot more cameras yeah this this has been happening forever you know it's been happening forever and the whole idea too whenever people come to me and they say well you're a, you're an amateur or you're a citizen detective whatever the whole idea of a professional detective has only been around for like a hundred and twenty years hundred and thirty years before if somebody was murdered you'd go get like the town doctor you know, you'd get, mm. get the town like guy that's the smartest guy there right. and you do like a civilian type, type of thing. You know, police departments in America, at least in the in the north, came about because of uh, they don't want riots. You know, yeah. that's really what they why they started. You know, you it's know? interesting. And I want to talk about Golden State Killer um, here in a second. But, you know, when it comes to California, this is the fifth worst state in the country uh, to be a black male in because uh, because of the incarceration rates yeah. and it really is devastating that i think you're right we take a massive overhaul we need to have a massive overhaul and just a total change of character within the police force so you mentioned people are like oh you're just an independent detective what do you think about documentaries like uh, don't fuck with cats um where you had all those mm -hmm. facebook sleuths yeah. and you had a bunch of people being like i think we solved the crime they ended up pinning it on somebody else yeah. who was you know perverted and, and whatever he posted a horrible video but he was not the guy yeah. he was not the killer and this guy ended up committing suicide yeah so what do you think about the phenomenon of the internet sleuth and it, it, to me due process is still a very important thing it can be really dangerous how like what are your thoughts on that well first of all don't fuck with cats I, 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 now that story was based, but they didn't option my article, it was based on my Rolling Stone article. Really? Literally, the Don't Fuck With Cats is a quote from my story. Interesting. Uh, yeah. And this is um, a Magnata, Luca Magnata. Luca Magnata, yeah. yeah. So I had written that story because I was getting really into citizen detective work and things. Yeah. And that's why I focused on that part of it. I thought it was really, really interesting. And um, so you have to follow rules. And this is what we, this is what, Jensen Hole's Murder Squad is all about. We take one case that's unsolved, we attempt to, we give all the information, and then we give assignments and say, this is what we want, and then we say, these are the rules. The first rule is, don't name names in public. 
Bottom line, don't do side-by-sides. We're seeing side-by-side, this picture and a sketch. We're seeing that a lot with uh, the Delphi murders. Interesting. You, know, you have that that picture, this guy looks like it, everything. You can't do that. It could ruin people's lives. Yes. And, um, you know, if you have a name, you don't put the name out there. Everybody wants to think that, you know, you, you want credit. There's been stuff that I've been able to help solve that I didn't get credit for. I know it sucks, but don't risk it uh, at the at the at the risk of potentially ruining somebody's life so those are the two biggies yeah. you know don't do side by sides don't name names in public has anyone ever in your in your worlds with your fan base has anyone ever gone too far and you're like bro pump the brakes we're not sitting here crucifying random people uh, no i think everybody really got it because from day one we yeah. had the rules on jensen hole's murder squad we had the rules from day one nice and it was that this is this what did you think about the the cyber sleuths from that documentary though did you agree with them did you think that they were working totally i i thought uh, there were a lot of those groups splintered yes and the the group that splintered that with with john green and uh body moving was and you know and body moving actually is is great and i still talk with her she's a big uh um, las vegas golden knights fan oh nice but yeah so she um but they were doing really really good work and the mm-hmm. way that they were able to take his photo and then figure out with google maps and like the so station and that, that was just great stuff yes and putting it together a dossier taking it to the police and saying this guy's going to kill a person they did great work it, it, the work tra- goes over into uh, into badness when you start naming names, and right. that's the that's the worst thing you can do. Okay. It happened during the um, Boston bombing. Yes, when Boston Marathon bomb- bombing happens, and I was sitting there, and I had like my scanner, and I was just like, "All right, this is like I had my scanner, I had Twitter open, and I was like, this is going to be this could be a, a time, a watershed moment for citizen detective work, uh, yeah. because there's so many photographs there." people start going through missing persons and they found this kid named Sunil Tripathi who looked similar to bomber number two. And they start naming the Sunil Tripathi kid who was a kid who went missing from Brown University. Turns out he'd probably taken his own life, but you know, they dragged this guy's name and his family through the mud because people are just throwing that out there. And that was the time when Reddit, the Reddit Bureau of Investigation, they came out. There was a lot of great work that was being done on Reddit. But Reddit was, they were just throwing stuff out there. Remember, they were looking at sagging backpacks. Yeah. Let's just looking at sagging backpacks. So somebody in Reddit like puts it out there. And then what happens is that the New York Post takes that and then puts it on their cover. Right. You know, there's the, everybody had sort of started to lose their mind a little bit. Yeah. But, they, you know, as far as the Reddit detectives, though, they did some good work. They actually found, they went through all the photos. They found a, the, a photo of bomber number two leaving the scene. A this clear, is the younger Sharnall brother. Yes, yes. Yeah. A, a clear picture. The FBI hadn't seen that. That was that was citizen detectives. And they also were able to identify the hat of bomber number one like that, you know, because it was a, I think it was a Bridgestone golf hat. Interesting. And you just saw it. It was blurry, but they were just like, that's the power of the crowd. And that's what I do, particularly with, um, I mean, Reddit is great for sneakers, identifying sneakers. And What's I guess sneaker, like a sneaker, like, a, like, a like if I have a, a surveillance video of somebody that just killed somebody and I'm trying to figure out what they're wearing. Oh, interesting. Showing that to the sneakerhead group. Interesting. Uh, that, that subreddit. Like, that's saying, Jordan hey, 87. Yeah. yeah. And one guy said, <laughs> one guy said they were, uh, you're not often dealing with good video. And yeah. one guy wrote, a lot of times people joke. And one guy wrote, those are JPEG 12s just because they were so yeah, pixelated. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I was like, all right, that's funny. At least it made me laugh a little bit. Yeah, that's but, good. But um, yeah, like, and cars. These guys, if you're into cars, these guys and these women that are on Reddit, I would take 
I remember uh, working with a police department and they said, yeah, we've got this this car. We don't know what it is. We think it's this or this. Right. And I put it up on Reddit and within five minutes, I had the make, model, year, and then also like the add-ons that it, that was there. Interesting. Um, and it's just because these guys know it just from like a little tail, tail light. Right. They know exactly what it is. What did you think? Addiction plays hardball. He would hit me with these verbal attacks. I just said to him, I love you so much. You're such an amazing person. I can't take this ride anymore. It was the fact that dad made that sentiment and broke down. And years later, he told me it had a huge impact on him. Sometimes doing what's right for your loved one is the hardest thing to do. Karen is that right thing. Visit CARON.org slash lost. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Think about the mainstream coverage. Speaking of the Boston bombing, the young Sharnov on the cover of the Rolling Stone. I, I, yeah. I mean, it was, uh, yeah. they romanticized him it, to such a degree. I just thought it was absolutely vile considering the uh, the damage that was done. I mean, I think his older brother was uh, maybe leading, leading the charge there, but uh, certainly he's just as guilty as anyone. What did you think about them putting these literal, literal sex pot pictures of him? Yeah. You know, bloody, white shirt, looking jacked up. I mean, what did you think about that? You know, I think what they were trying to do was, you know, you're sitting there in the Rolling Stone offices. Your your relevance is fading. And listen, I love Rolling Total Stone. Total relevance. I, I love uh, magazines. I still do. I love print journalism. Matt Taibbi, I still read his uh, articles. I think he yep. just he did a great article on how uh, the intelligence state has infiltrated MSNBC, CNN, uh-huh. and a whole bunch of shit. Matt was getting so. Matt is so was so cool. Matt used to write for me. Oh, and nice. um, we did it. We did one of the first like crime and sports. We did a crime oh, and sports cool. thing. And he would be like, yeah, I'm at a I'm at a and he'd be filing it for like one of my little papers, like the Long Island Press or something like that, that I was working at. He'd be filing it from some like Internet cafe in the Middle East being like, yeah, you know, it's just like that's cool. he, and he was just so dead. He just loves the work. Yeah, that's just great about Matt with Rolling with Stone. Rolling Stone just the, uh, I think they were just like, well, let's make let's do something. Remember when we had Manson on the cover? Yeah. You know, and so they were harkening back to that. I bet they were thinking that Manson cover. Go let's ride this yeah. true crime let's wave. Ro- yeah, yeah, sort of like it was, it was right before the true crime wave actually happened. Yeah. The, the one that we're on now. But it's like they kind of just went for it. At, listen, it got people talking about Rolling Stone, but it was... It didn't stop it from closing. It didn't. Yeah. Well, I think <laughs> I'm pretty I think sure they're gone no, now. No, I think, I think they do uh, monthlies. Okay. Yeah, I think they do monthlies. It's a now, shell, so. but yeah. Yeah, it's rough. And uh, But, you know, it's the, the whole romanticism about these killers is, is something that I've always stayed away from. Yes. And don't like to, uh, you know, and I think I think media has done a good job with the shooters, uh, the mass shooters. Um, they haven't I, been naming names as much. No. And I, listen, I, I covered, I was there. I was at Disney World when the, the shooting happened at the Pulse nightclub. Oh, and I went and covered it. And it was, it was horrible. I can't name that guy's name. Uh, you know, we were talking about Vegas before. I can't name the Vegas guy's name. Yeah. You know, um, and we, which is the, the, you know, and it's also, it's it's a couple things. It's that we've, we've been desensitized to it. But I right. think we've done a good job of not glamorizing that. Yeah, Stephen Paddock. 
and uh oh my goodness i do know the uh muhammad something but yeah i it is it is weird where you you have to draw the line between romanticizing and praising and giving press and then also giving enough information so they can try to cobble together in their own life a sense of security right mm -hmm. because don't people want to know they kind of want to know who the shooter is so that they can in their own life and this is probably for better or for worse it might be for worse so they can profile and they can be like well i'm going to be safe i'm going to stay away from this but of course now in the world of mass shooters especially america style it seems like every walk of life no, uh, is, no, uh, is capable at, i mean look at stephen paddock you know you're at a um uh, uh you're at a concert right you know and the guy wasn't even you know you couldn't even see on the him 34 35th floor of the mandalay bay my favorite yeah. casino yeah and he and he's just what an asshole. I mean, these guys, you know, it's just, what an and, and that's the, the things that people often, often ask me, why don't we don't have, why don't we have any serial killers anymore? You know, it's just like, well, what do they, uh, where do these serial killers go from the golden age of serial killers, which is the seventies and eighties, which and is even a perverted sentence it's a perverted to say sentence, it itself. Exactly. Yeah. You know, so, and it's just that, um, you know, what did they, what did they become? Where did they go off to, uh, has like, um, you know, does does internet porn and how how different it is like that? Could that like maybe feed into some of the and, and satiate them so they don't have to? You've you've heard that argument. Do they become mass shooters instead yeah. of serial killers? It's sort of like they're typical Americans where they want something now. It's just like all right, I don't have to kill tw ten people with a cooling off point. I can just kill ten in in one day. And uh, and that ties it up perfectly because you want to be on the cover of the Rolling Stone. Yeah. And you can either work your ass off and make a lot of money or try to get a fan base in music or the yeah. Arts, or you can go commit a mass tragedy. Yeah, I mean, you talk about Manson, right? Which which Manson was on the cover of the Rolling Stone. At least he played music. This guy wanted to be a musician, right? He's what did he spend two years trying to get a record contract? That's it. You know, right. people are still out there exactly. fucking. You know what I mean? Don't you know you didn't? You know you. It makes me so angry because yeah. it's like, and it wasn't like he was really trying. He wasn't out there no. playing gigs. He just had a few songs that he would play around the campfire. You know, while everybody was was getting naked and everything like that, yeah. and he had this sort of mystique about him. But go do the work, dude. Exactly. It's such a cheap, uh, just a lazy way, right? To again get. And on then the cover I know the so stuff. much about this freaking guy, and I yeah. hate it. I hate the fact that I know so much about that guy. Right. You know, I want to talk to you a little bit about like Golden State. We can talk. Uh, we can talk Golden State. What do you think? Just sort of in a broader sense. You commit a crime. We were talking about this uh, at the sports bar. Uh, you commit a crime. He, you said the Golden State Killer stopped killing in 86. Mm -hmm. And I asked you, do you think this is because um, he was worried about getting caught? And you said this was right around the same time that the first DNA was ever used in a case to convict a murderer in, the, in Europe, right? Yeah, in the UK. And so you think that the Golden State Killer stopped because of a fear of being caught. And then if that is the case, do these people... Do you think that someone who murdered someone in the 70s or 80s or even today, um, but specifically a long time ago, do you think, like, what's their life? Do you think that their minds, do, you, do they have to live in fear or, or are they seriously so psycho and so sick that they can forget yeah. about it and move on? Well, I think with D'Angelo, that would have been, that might have been one of the reasons why he stopped. Uh, it, it's also because he actually started having a family too. And he had he had more people around his house. Do you think he stopped because he had he looked into his son's eyes or daughter's eyes and no. saw love? No, he no, was no. just like, there's too many snitches around yeah, here. Yeah, something like that. It's yeah. not like he turned into a really warm guy, you right. know. And uh, you know, I think with the 
we're actually doing this on Unraveled uh, season four, I think it is. So Unra- so Long on Serial Killer was Unraveled season one. Okay. We've got two more, then we've got this other one, and it's about these kind of one-and-done killers. Uh, the killer of uh, Christy Marac in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, it looked like this has got to be, if it's not somebody that knows her, it's a serial killer. Yeah. You know, it's a sexually homicide crime, and it turns out it was a guy, you know, they, they find them through genetic genealogy 20 years later. Yeah. And it's a guy that's like the local DJ that DJs all like the kids parties and stuff. Oh my God. And he's just, he lives in the same place. He has to be, you know, especially right after what I've been telling people is this. <sighs> when Golden State Killer happened and they started learning about genetic genealogy, take note of anybody that just disappears. Remember Bob? Where'd Bob go? I don't know. He moved or something like that. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's like, yeah, yeah. It's like, that guy might've been watching the news saying, this is getting a little bit too close for me. And again, it's all about the database. Uh, you know, which because of genetic genealogy, it's all about the database and how big the database is. Yeah. Do you think the Golden State Killer was surprised? I do. Yeah. He didn't, you know, inside his house, uh, he might have thought that they were on him. He was kind of doing some weird, like, uh, counter maneuvers on his motorcycle. What do you mean? What's that mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's 86 years old. No, no, no. Was he doing some Tom Cruise stuff? No, no, no. Yes, I'm telling you. He was he was flying down the highway or the freeway because we're in we're in uh, California, eighty miles an hour on his motorcycle. That thing where he's in a, it that was all an act, all an act. He was like very very spry, and Interesting. and even uh, and that actually came out. They released a video right after his sentencing where he's like doing burpees in jail. You know what I mean? He's like right because yeah. he came across. He did the uh, the Suge Knight, the Harvey Weinstein. Like I'm blind. I can't walk. Yeah, it's Bill like, Cosby. Yeah, really, bro. I think yeah. you might be fine. And I think he was maybe doing that just for some sort of escape. He was all about do you know doing the, this deed? Obviously, that's the biggest thing. But but his escape routes. He was very very methodical. And he knew those neighborhoods. The reason why he knew that, because he, he, you know, the, for the first neighborhood, Rancho Cordova, that's where he was a rough and tough kid. He knew all the escape routes. He knew how to go over here, or over there. Yeah. As soon as he, somebody might have seen his face or something like that, he would move to different neighborhoods. So he was very much very into, purposeful, opposite yeah. of Richard Chase or even Danny Rawling, who mm-hmm. we covered this week. Very purposeful. Huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's why he could stop on a dime. Yeah. So why did he start? Yes. Well, that's the thing that we wanted. We, that's what we were trying to figure out with these one and done killers, because there's no imagine if you were a person that that thought to yourself, I want to I want to do this. I'm going to kill yeah. somebody and, and rape them. Right. Then you do it. And then either it doesn't live up to your what, what that fantasy was. And it's just like, I'm going to put that so far back in my mind and just try to be a regular person for the rest. Now, some people go on to be a serial killer, but then there's other people and there's no that we, we talked to the FBI or former FBI. There's no FBI sort of profile for that one and done killer because whenever you see something, somebody that was stabbed, you know, a hundred times and yeah. sexually assaulted, you're going to think either that's somebody that that person knew or that's a, this is a serial offender. And a lot of times we've been finding out, we've been finding that with all these genetic genealogy cases, these people don't have criminal records. They've never been picked mm. up before. They did it once and then they stopped. Do you think the Long Island serial killer is alive? Do you think that there is somebody out there currently in a GSK type situation? Are we ever going to find this person, do you think? I think the Long Island serial killer definitely could be alive. Uh, you know, it was, it wasn't that long ago. Right. Uh, you know, I think it's a definitely, it's a solvable case. Mm-hmm. I think the police department uh, botched a lot of the investigation. Well, and that leads to some of the criticism and go on with, yeah. with how they botched it, but that leads to some of the, um, um, idea that it may be a cop. Yeah. Right? Well, you know, cause how did they botch it? 
Well, for one thing, they had this guy when uh, James Burke took over, he completely kicked the FBI out of the investigation. And the reason why he did that is because he was such a dirty cop. He didn't want anybody sniffing around his his dirty laundry. Interesting. And he's also had a lot. You know, we've we've interviewed people multiple times who he's asked people for a snuff film. Uh, you know, this is all in Unraveled. Yeah, it's just like asked somebody. He asked a cop who's now a state legislator. Um, who is it? A, a, a county legislator. What, what do you mean? Who is the? What's the name of the state legislator? Uh, Rob Trotta's name is. Wow. Oh, he's, a, he's a county legislator. No, no. So th- this guy, he asked this guy when, when he was a cop. He's like, oh, Trotta. First thing he asked him is, you know, we can get a snuff film. And he didn't know what a snuff film was. Like, yeah, it's like, and then he, he said, it's when you like, it's when somebody is having sex with a girl and then you, you kill her and then her body reacts in a this certain way or the, something like that. This is what the cop wanted? This is what the cop asked a um, asked another cop. He becomes the chief of police. Oh this my cop, God. This cop is, uh, you know, on the cover of Newsday, it was shown that he not only had sex with a sex worker in his police car, then he lost his gun to her, right? And this all comes out and... He's still the chief of police. And of course, you can't have sex with consent when the person is being detained. No, of uh, course, of absolutely course not. not possible. So that is that's simply a that's a rape. Yeah. And wow, that is. A, so the corruption goes it, through it, the it roof. Went, it went through there. But and it's then so sad. Him with the D.A. too. It was just, uh, you know, they both went to jail because they, be, they beat the hell out of some kid. Scumbags. Um, and uh, the kid came forward and said. Uh, you know, nobody believed him because he was a heroin addict. But it turns out the blue wall of silence came down because, you know, he was beating it. You know, he violated the civil rights of this kid, Chris Loeb. And it's just so sad because you have all how many families now are suffering with the uh, Long Island killer? What do they say? You know, 25, 30? No, like no, this? no. It's it's it can go from 10 to 17. OK, depending on I think it's probably we concentrated on the bodies that were found along Ocean Parkway. Okay. So there was the canonical, sort of like the canonical four, which is the four that were wrapped in burlap. They weren't all wrapped in burlap. Uh, we got some inside info, but um, uh, those those four, there was two that were found in, their body parts were found in uh, Manorville, and then other body parts were found along the highway. So oh. a lot of people question whether it's one killer or two killers because he was, why would he go from, and the, 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 disposal of the body parts and uh was a lot earlier why would he go you know he why would he change his mo like that's got to be two different people but yeah you know what i think he just saw it as being this is a waste of time nobody found the other body parts anyway so he got I'm just, bored he got bored he got lazy he got whatever. no one's paying attention to yeah. me it wasn't he wasn't doing it he wasn't doing the uh you know taking apart the body for that wasn't part of the fantasy that was just to uh for you know, getting away with it for lack of identifying. Just a postcard from hell. Well, just, yeah, or identifying the victim, trying to take off the tattoos and things. Yeah, we're talking with Bill Jensen here, Billy Jensen, William Jensen, according to his ID. Uh, check him out, uh, Holes, Holes and Jensen, the murder squad. I'll keep you for only about 10, 15 more minutes. Sure. And then we'll have to go watch some sports. Yes. And not talk about murder, but it is endlessly uh, fascinating. We'll, we'll end up talking about murder. Yeah, a little point. bit here and there. <laughs> You mentioned with the Long Island serial killer, some people think it might be more than one person. Mm-hmm. Uh, how common do you think that is? Because it seems to me serial killers might not be the best people, people. So yeah. would they be able to even work together? Like, how common is the idea? I mean, obviously, we have like the hillside stranglers. How how common are two murderers going on? Yeah, I mean, you've got the toolbox killers. But uh, I think what they're thinking there is that it's two separate ones using the same dumping ground. And so they're, so not they don't even, they don't, they're not working in concert. Oh, okay. Yeah. 
But, you know, and the idea is that, you know, when you're down there and you're looking at it, you're like, how could two people, you know, choose this area? This has got to be one person. There's so many other places to dump bodies on Long Island. Why would why would two people choose the same place? It's, right. It, it is odd, but it's happened before. It's happened in the, the killing fields of, of Texas when you've got, uh, they, they actually, they, you know how many different I-5 killers there are? They thought the I-5 killer was the same killer out in, in California, and it turns out it was like three different guys, and they didn't know each other or anything like that, but they were just, you know, dumping bodies along I-5. Yeah, yeah that is, I mean, it's endlessly fascinating. Are you happy with where true crime is now do you think because i i have one i'm gonna ask you this do you think that ted bundy would have been thrilled with the past two years or, or three years do you think that he would have been thrilled that he was played by zach efron no diss on zach efron he did a great job but let's be honest the dudes he's a handsome young man yeah i personally feel like ted bundy is smiling in hell because i think the coverage of him has been so whitewashed and pleasantly displayed this man fucked people's severed heads this dude's a monster what do you think? Do you think Ted Bundy would be happy of the media coverage he's getting now? Absolutely. When I watched yeah. that movie, I, I that's exactly what I thought. I was like, Ted Bundy would have liked this movie. He would and have how, loved this movie. How sick is that, though? Because and because I was just like, all right, you know what? Are they going to show? And I was doing the same thing. He's been played by a, a teenage heartthrob. Are they going to show him, you know, raping a, a woman's skull? which is one of the things that he didn't did. show it didn't show that they so, showed him in court though pretending to be a lawyer yeah. and if you actually watch that footage he's fucking batshit insane mm -hmm. yeah yeah oh yeah and then they show the um i don't know did they show the uh the, the judge saying the thing about like i, I would have they know, did they would have liked you in my courtroom but you know you went the wrong way partner it's like talk about white privilege and just nonsense and, and skinny privilege yeah that's and then, what and, you have billy and then also and then also watching this and I'm I'm always about the victim, so I'm waiting. It's just like, all right, are we gonna? Are they, they're gonna show the victims at the end? Any right? talk about the victims? Are they gonna Are they gonna show their names? At the, nothing. 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 And I and I actually wrote, and I I've met Joe Burlinger Burlinger before. He's he, he seems the, like a nice he, guy. He He's the director. The okay. And he did the Bundy tapes, which is a very smart thing. Yes, he did the Bundy yes, tapes, yes. which got everybody excited for it, and then which was like one of the biggest things that Netflix had done at the time. And then uh, he came out with this this scripted thing. Uh, and I wrote to, I was like on Twitter, I was like, why didn't you do that? It was in public. And he was just like, he actually said, we tested it and it didn't test well. It, it felt exploitative. I was like, there's oh, no God. fucking way. It's dude. so wrong. There's no fucking way that's it. Because Joe is the guy that did West Memphis 3. He got those kids out. I mean, like yeah. he, he, you know, so I totally respect him. But I was like, come on, dude. You, you know, you just, it, it, you can't do that. And you can't say that. And I don't think anybody would, would say, oh, no, that's exploitative. Yeah. When you just did an entire film with a heartthrob, you know, covering this guy that a lot of people think are is quote unquote hot. And, um, you know, there's a um, there's a, uh, a filmmaker that's making a movie called uh, Killing Theodore. And she's calling it Theodore because he hated being called Theodore. OK, cool. Yeah. And it's going to show more of like him. You know, I mean, I thought the best thing that they did, if you want to go see a scripted show about Bundy and putting Bundy in his place, when Mark Harmon played Bundy. Okay. Right before, so they shave his head before he, he's got to go to the chair, yeah. right? And then they have a scene where they are plugging up his asshole with cotton Gauze. balls. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it just shows him. And I was just like, it shocked me when I first saw it, but I was yeah. just like, you know what? This is this is what you need to show. Yep. 
You know, absolutely. Um, don't show, you know, it's not him getting, you know, raped in prison, which is totally wrong. This is like, this is where you are now. This is all the stuff that you did to these, these, and that was like a TV movie too, or something. Mm -hmm. like that. All the stuff that you did to these women, uh, horrible and girls too, uh, young girls. I mean, his first victim, I think was six or seven. Yeah. And then, and then the, the last one, the, the girl out in, in, uh, in Florida, you know, it's just, it uh th that movie angered me a lot. Yeah. I remember. I remember. I felt movie. the same way, and you know, with Last Pod, it is what it is. People are like, it can be too gross. I'm like, that's what these people did. Again, uh, I'm just thinking about the Rolling story. Uh, the man is just disgusting, and cutting off nipples and everything else. I mean, you have to know that, otherwise, yeah. you end up empathizing or sympathizing with these people. I mean, it's just, and now of course with the modern. With the TikToks and everything, they're kind of like rehashing the Menendez brothers. And there's a lot of misinformation out there. And again, just to put a button on the whole thing, I mean, as a journalist, your job as a stalwart of truth is now more important than ever because everyone has a voice. Yeah. No. And you've just got to, you know, I think we're getting to a place right now where it is fantastic that so many people do have voices. The... I love the fact that TV networks are no longer the the sort of uh, you have to come in there with a hat in hand in order to try and do a true crime thing. It's just like they're coming to us now, which yes. is great. It's a great feeling. But I think we still need to um, have those journalistic principles. I made, you know, I made twenty seven thousand dollars my first year in journalism. Right. And um, I think it's it was such a good experience. I, I think everybody in every walk of life should work at a newspaper for one year just to see how, mm -hmm. it, you know, the, the responsibility of truth, of getting multiple sources, of doing all that kind of thing. It's super, super important. And it's a great skill to have in, in any walk of life. So that's the thing that worries me is the, that the, uh, you know, this we don't, have, you know, newspapers died because of the internet it died because of craigslist yeah. i mean imagine you had 40 percent of your revenue go away within three years absolutely it's just, gone. It just gone. gone you know yeah. unbelievable and then of course now that the newspaper industry is suffering oftentimes i think they're uh, they're publishing more erroneous things that might be more exciting than truthful and uh, it, it's a double-edged sword and i think that you know you got to understand something is that everything that you see on tv started for the most part 99% of it started with some sort of newspaper article. Right. Anything in true crime, anything that we're covering, anything like that, you're, the, the primary sources for that initially is going to be the, those newspaper articles. And then some, when you can go back and see how much of the coverage, which was really, really well done back in those stories, there are so many people being murdered now that aren't even being covered because we can't afford court reporters. We can't af afford uh, the police beat reporters anymore. Yeah. And it's, um, it's going to be up to individuals to do it um, just maintain you know have those tools uh to do it and if you're going to be trying to solve anything just don't name names in public you know yeah. hit it hit it hard but just don't name those names awesome billy jensen check out everything that billy does i'm sure there's a massive crossover with our audiences here so uh hopefully people enjoyed the conversation we hope everyone is safe out there i guess final question one word answer is zodiac killer still alive hell yes hell yes no, a two word no, answer no, no. oh no now we went back that was so no, no I, do you, you know think what? do you I, think I, they're I, gonna find this man if he if with all the genealogy stuff they have dna on him right they have a partial on him can they are we gonna i would love if this case was solved in our lifetime i absolutely I would love if that. I think if you asked anybody what was the what was the one case you want solved uh, after John Benet, it would be it would be Zodiac, and I would I would love to see that too. And uh, I I you know 
it was such an interesting, complex case. But at the end of the day, this guy was a cold-blooded killer, and yes. I would love to see him get get his get his due. It's absolutely. Point. And Jabonet, oh my God, that's a whole nother can of worms. Yeah. Uh, you don't think the parents did it? I don't know what the hell happened. It's We covered it, and I'm more confused now than ever. Yeah. It's so no, crazy. I, it's one of those cases where I'll be like, you know what? The, yeah, that makes sense that, that it was somebody that was inside the house. And then I listened to like True Crime Garage, and yeah. they made an, an, an amazing case, really, really well done for the that uh you know the intruder type of thing you know right. so oh, who knows either way but speaking of naming names don't you know alex jones and all of those scumbags out there um you know oftentimes people are victimized not just from, from the crime but from uh, the attention yeah uh, so you can imagine if you're a parent of one of the column or one of the well sure a parent of one of the columbine kids hearing how eric and dylan were were bullied, were bullied yeah. and of course then you're a, a sandy hook parent and uh, you have oh. alex jones naming you as a complicit in it and uh, all of those and that's why he needs to be held accountable for those words absolutely um everything Billy Jensen does. Check it out, everyone. Thank you all so much for listening to this episode. Hope everyone is healthy and safe and happy out there. Hail yourselves. We'll talk to you soon. Bye. This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. Hi, Max. I wanted to share something with you. I wanted to tell you how grateful I am on how you've embraced your sobriety since day one. I'm grateful for how you changed your life. I'm grateful for the love you have for me. I'm grateful for you. Love, Mom. If your loved one is still struggling with addiction, you might not feel like you'll ever get to grateful, but we can show you how. At Karen, we've helped families overcome addiction for 70 years. So if your loved one is ready for something different, visit caron.org slash lost. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.